All right, good day, and thanks so much for hanging out with us today. Today, I am joined by Rocky Ratliff, a retired officer from Tampa's Police Department. He spent 30 years on the force. Also hanging out with us, Carl Davis. He retired after more than 31 years in law enforcement with the Hillsborough County Sheriff's Office. I talked to both gentlemen about violence and what it looks like from law enforcement's vantage point. Here's where the conversation gets interesting. And I'll start with you, Carl. When we start looking at violence from the standpoint of law enforcement, you know, police culture in and of itself, after viewing that and experience that, they realize that this violence is increasing. So therefore, they have to come up with mechanisms and, and techniques in the police culture to match that particular violence. There are so many efforts out there trying to, to curtail or stem violence, it becomes overwhelming for anyone that's in law enforcement. Stress happens when there's an increase in violence, especially on particular for the, not only for the community, but for law enforcement as well. And so from my perspective and looking at just law enforcement and how they look at violence, it's almost as though the efforts that are being made is being pushed back. So there's still some hope, there's faith, there are techniques that's being utilized, there's conversations that we're having. But the violence that's increasing right now is a whole different culture when it comes down to addressing that particular violence. And it affects both cultures, not only community culture, but also the police culture. And you know, I think it's interesting that you you say it's overwhelming. And I think back on what Carl said. Uh, it is, you know, we come up with strategies to try to curtail these these uh, violent crimes and things like that. And we talk, we concentrate our effort is where where the crime is being committed. And then when we do that, we put more more uh, manpower in those particular areas. So as Carl say. With things going on now, it, it feeling like the officers being punished if they put too too many manpower in that area to try to solve the crime. So we doing using too much force. But what we trying to do is is get that crime down. Our ultimate goal is to get the crime down. And, and, and Rocky, what does this look like from the vantage point of an African American uh, individual who works in law enforcement? Because Make no mistake about it, that is who you are before you put on that badge, and that's who you're going to be once you remove it for the day. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's really, it's tough for us. I always said, my people. Right. I said, my people need to stop doing these things. So how can we make that connections, build those relationships to stop it? So it's harder on us, and we're trying to convince the whole force what we need to do and how we need to go at it, the tactics that we need to use uh, to go at trying to reduce crime. So it's a hindrance for blacks, but as a whole, we still law enforcement. So we feel that same burden, even though we black, we law enforcement. You know, we work for the city, we, we work for the, the community, and we need to come together to solve those type of crimes. And Carl, how do you feel about this? Because do you feel like you've encountered in in your years of experience, perhaps individuals who did not look like you, who may not have been culturally competent, who may not have 
uh, been aware of, of some of their shortcomings? Or did you ever encounter individuals who worked alongside you who didn't care about shortcomings when it came to communicating with the African-American community? And that's important when you say communication. You know, Frank, the officers, they go through, and I was uh, teaching in an academy as well. The officers go through the same amount of training in the academy, same amount of hours. They go through the same field training officers uh, training. And you would expect that there are some like mindsets in there, in a sense. But culturally, I think your upbringing changed the dynamics of all of that. Even with the training, the communication skills, culturally, that impacts the way Black law enforcement look, looks at violence as well. I think if you are raised in a neighborhood where you're, where you're raised in, in a, a crime area that you've kind of gotten used to, you sort of look at it as though, well, I have... I'm sort of immune to the violence in a sense. I know what's going on in that neighborhood. And so therefore, I know how to communicate when I go to that neighborhood, especially if it's a crime-ridden neighborhood that you're accustomed with. Working with your counterpart that, that wasn't raised in that particular culture or that particular neighborhood, or even doesn't understand the race as much, you almost have to be the talking point or the talking piece for your peer or your co-worker. Carl, you mentioned training. You can't really train compassion, though, can you? You either have it or you don't. No, you can't train it. You can talk about it. You can go through bias-related training. You can demonstrate it, show it, um, because it's nothing like getting out of your vehicle. And I work most of my most of my compassion was in lockup. And man, you had to show a whole lot of compassion in lockup because, Frank, you didn't have a weapon per se. So your communication skills had to be increased. We were outnumbered. And basically, the way you talk to them, that's how you gain the respect as well. So it's all about communication from the standpoint of understanding where you are, your situation, and how to develop a rapport communication and rapport. You can do that with the bad guys as well. You're, you're nodding in agreement there, Rocky. Yeah, that communication is the most important thing in, in law enforcement and building that relationship with, between the community and law enforcement. When I started uh, 30 years ago, I was, you know, I had to chase everybody down. You know, I had to catch them. And I said, wait a minute, I don't want to do all this running and chasing and stuff like that. So <laughs> what I decided to do, I said, I'm going to knock on some doors, get to know people. So I started in, in, in West Tampa, in North Boulevard Homes. I went in all the public housing. Knocked on the door, the first door I knocked on in public housing. Uh, the, the person came to the door and he said, oh, I don't want to be no snitch. I said, sir, you, you, you ain't no snitch. My name is Officer Rattler. I'm here to give you my information. If you see any problems or you hear anything, give me a call. And what I do, I won't come to your house. I go to the problem. You know, so I started working that way from the start when I was a rookie. And over the years, I had a good relationship with everyone in the community. I could go in any community, any public housing, by myself, talk to the people. Because when you have that relationship, they know you. 
they know you, they like you, then when something happens, guess what they're going to call? They're going to call that officer that they know they have that relationship with. So they used to call me for anything. Crime, like Carl said, even the, even the, the criminals, the bad guys. I, could, I had a communication relationship with them and the good people. That's how you solve things. So you got to re- remember, the people committing the crimes, they don't want you to be on them, so they're going to give you information to get somebody else, but you get off their back. So it's a it's a game out there, but it's communication. It's that building that relationship with everybody to make things work. Speaking of communication, what were some of those conversations like for the, the two of you when you encountered someone who was making some poor decisions, who, who someone who was breaking the law, and you just were able to have a frank conversation about it? Uh, Rocky, what was that like when you asked someone why why did you resort to violence? And in their moment of of, you know, well, I'm not gonna get out of this for some time, what was that person's response? Well, every everyone I, I arrested, I always talked with them. Uh I had a situation where I stopped this this person. He was driving a car. He didn't have no no uh tag light out. He had no tag. When I stopped him, his and, and identified him, his license was suspended, and he had 85 grams of rock cocaine in his car. So I, I, I sat him down. I thought I said, I said, man, why are you doing this? I said, you made it so simple for us as police officers to stop. You wanted to be stopped. Because you had all these violations and you transporting cocaine in your vehicle. He, the first thing he said, I don't know. I, I said, man, y'all need to, first you need to get your car. If you, if you don't want no police officer stopping you, get your vehicle, get your tag. Get your license, you know, and, and stop committing these crimes. Maybe you won't get caught up in this, you know. And, and the first thing they tell you, well, you know, that's how I make a living. So I, I, I'm going to take the chances. And through all that, that's the way it is. That's, that's how some things are. These guys, what, what I think it is, is it's parenting. We got to look. We got to go deep. It's about parenting. I was going to ask you all what the solution is, right? You know, Carl, that kind of makes you smile as well. And I'll let you finish, Rocky. You say you believe it's parenting. What, what else is it? It's got to be a multifaceted problem because this problem has been around since the inception of what we know to be America. It's, it's, it's complex. It ain't simple. It's complex. First, it starts with the root cause, parenting. If you don't have, if you have your mom there, no, no father, and when you go home from school, your mom is at work, your father's not around, and you go home, you get home, what you going to do? You ain't got nobody there. So where you going to get your friends from? Who going to give you love? The people in the streets. I don't work with, I done arrested plenty of people. I remember this one case I had where this female, she was 18 years old. She had a 15-year-old uh, boy with her and a 16-year-old. They come from St. Pete. They came to Tampa and terrorized Tampa. They were driving around. Getting out their car, robbing people with a 25 caliber handgun that didn't have no bullets in it. They, after they robbed four people, we get the call. We, we respond to that area. We got them in pursuit with them. We end up arresting them. So I went to talk to the, to the female. She was the leader of the, it was her 18 and the 15 and 16 year. I said, why are you doing this? What's wrong? Oh, you can't talk to me. I don't talk to the police. I said, what happened? Uh, uh, where, where's your parents? Where's your mom? Well, my mom don't love me. 
and I don't have no dad. So that's, you know, that's then, tragic. She, yeah, and she started crying, and she broke it down. She said, well, "I don't have nobody who loved me, so I get my love from the streets, the people I hang out with." So that's the problem. They going from school to home, nobody there, and they finding the love and the gangs and the groups and and that's how they. That's why the crime is just just flut, flutterated and, and, and increasing because of they they have they got the wrong man, mindset of what love is and what love comes from. It's friendship. It's doing these games and these groups, and they feel they feel like somebody loved them because they paying attention to them. So it, it's deeper. It's a lot of deep stuff. So over thirty years after talking to so many juveniles. All of them saying the same thing. Nobody loved me. No, nobody's around. So I got to find love in the streets. Rocky, you mentioned about parenting, and I agree with that. But let me let's get let me get real with you. Okay. My son, who I raised, is now doing federal time. Right. For a crime he committed with his crew. Okay. And so when you say parenting, I was I was smiling earlier, Frank and Rocky, because that kind of stabbed me in my heart. Because in as much as I thought that I was doing the right thing, providing for him, allowing him to be expressive, allowing him to just be a man, allowing him to go off to college and enjoy himself like I did. It was at the point where. Perhaps I knew in the back of my mind was he I was asking the question, was he ready? And I didn't know that out through all the communication, when the communication slowed down, we talked almost every week. When he stopped talking, something felt very wrong. I called his mom up and just asked her and she said everything was fine, but something felt deeply wrong. And I didn't find out about what he was doing until I heard from my nephew who's in law enforcement. He said, have you heard about your son? I'll leave his name out of it right now. Have you heard about your son? He called his name and my heart stopped. And he told me he had been arrested along with his crew. I knew all of his friends from high school to college. You can provide everything for your child in as much as possible, in as much as reasonable. I finally got around to asking him why. And he said, I did not want or I was tired of my dreams being deferred. I didn't want to wait on my dreams to become reality. And I was asking him about his dreams and his reality and his goals. And so he decided to wait all the way to the age of 27 to get involved with crime. All right. At that point, I asked the guys, where were you in year 30 in your mindset versus year one? Listen to this. I was always curious about different people, where they were, why were they absent from the neighborhood? And man, I said, I know where they are now. And I always thought to myself that if I just tried talking with them, just try talking on a level of respect, that that would give me that would give me more mileage. I made some mistakes along the way. Don't get me wrong. 
I did some silly things that perhaps I'm thinking, whoa, I got out of that. And some, quite frankly, I was disciplined for. But my year 30, I thought that I could just tell you this much. My year 20, I was sailing perfectly fine. Good communication skills, good rapport, uh, respect. You're outnumbered. You're talking. you identifying faces. That was all well and fine until I had a rude awakening one day, even when I was talking with someone in a holding cell, which I felt like if I had I not intervened, he would have probably gotten seriously injured by staff because of what he was doing. I put out that fire only to get paid back the next day in the form of having him throw feces on me. That's pretty serious, right? Right. And does that test your emotions? Does that test the type of officer you are? Absolutely. My year one, I was told, and I never forgot it, if the person is no longer a threat to you, back out. Or otherwise, you can lose your career. If the person is no longer a threat to you, back out. We can deal with it from a different angle. And the day that happened, I heard that voice from day one. And I thought, what did I do to deserve this? There were some other things that went on, but I learned my lesson from that day. No good deeds go unpunished sometimes. But year 30, I was wide open in terms of understanding the what we call the emotional intelligence that was needed in law enforcement. The self-awareness, the self-regulation, the motivation that it takes, the empathy, Frank. That's what we really need, empathy and the social skills behind all of that. I grew from day one to 30 years afterwards. And I really appreciated my learning curve, that growth in law enforcement. Uh, uh, Rocky, who who are you now versus your one in short? Well, from a one to my 30 years until now, it's similar to what Carl said. When I started, like I said, I'm, I'm from uh, Perry, Florida, a small country town up in the Tallahassee. So we had, we communicated, communication skill. I love to talk and things like that. So I brought that when I came on the police department, 89, I brought my communication skill to the department. I could talk to anyone about anything, whether you're a good guy, bad guy, it didn't matter. So day one, like I said, when I started knocking on doors and building those relationships, I, I built the relationship so well, the community used to call on me for everything. If I had to arrest somebody, I'll give you one example. I, I, the guy, the, the bad guy, they drive with no license. I, I to see him stopping. I, I gave him a break. I said, look, man, I'm going to give you a break. I ain't going to take you to jail. You need to get yourself a license. If you don't get a license, I ain't going to have but I ain't gonna have no choice but to arrest you. So I talked to him, try to, try to tell him, get yourself a license. You won't have to worry about being stopped by the police. Get yourself your cars and everything legit. So I said, if I see you again, I'm going to take you to jail. Okay, two weeks later, I see this guy driving. 
When he saw me, guess what he did? He just stopped on his own. He stopped, got out the car, put his hand behind his back. Called, you remember I told him, I said, look, I see you driving. He put his hand behind the back, went to jail that day. After that, I saw him a week later. Guess what? He called me and said, Rocky, I got my license. So see, those those type of relationship, even though he he wasn't doing bad, you know, it, it's driving with no license. He was doing no good, but I kept talking with him and kept communicating with him, built a relationship. And he came to me and said, hey, I got my license. I grew. I understand the whole gamut of policing and community. And I tried to instill that into our, our department, our staff, our chief on down. Because they always tell me, Rocky, you, you love shaking hands and kissing babies. I said, that's what all of us need to do. We need to build our relationships. All right, that's where we'll leave it. Our thanks to Rocky and Carl for this one. And thanks to you for listening in. And until next time, have a good one.